Welcome to the Born and Raised Audio Experience. Presented by Onyx. Guys, uh, super, super awesome day today, and uh, welcome back to the Born and Raised Audio Experience. I'm here with a good friend of mine. Uh, it's Jim Ramos. Jim, I just want to hear a little background from you. Um, we, we've, we've just actually, we've, I don't know, if we've met in person one time, I think is all. Yeah, but, we uh, came to your office down there, and you showed me your production stuff. Yeah, but we've kept in contact. Jim, uh, Jim is a pastor um, and, and just an all-around great guy and a huge, huge outdoors guy, too, him and his whole family. So J- could you just kind of briefly just give me an update on on, on what you've done and, and, and where you're at in your life, Jim? Yeah, so I've been in full-time ministry since 1990, uh, youth pastor. And then in 2012, we launched a ministry called Men in the Arena. And so our whole uh, mission is to get men out of the anonymous bleachers in their communities and their churches and their families and get them in the game, man. Get them on, get them in the arena floor. Let them experience what it's like to get down there and battle for those causes and people they care about. And so we have just finished our 11th year doing this full time. And I think we've got about, I don't know, 200,000 weekly followers and we're the number one podcast on Spotify for Christian men. And so so uh, we got the whole summer podcast recorded and I'm heading to Hawaii in about a month to go hunt axis deer with a shotgun. What? With uh, a shotgun? Oh, yeah. Well, the best unit on Lanai is actually a shotgun unit. And I won't even tell you how to apply because it's the easiest thing you've ever experienced in your life. It's the cheapest tag, and you can hunt them all year long, any sex, and mouflon sheep. So it what's, is, a, what's the success rate on that? Oh, what, 300%? I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's not a matter of killing a deer. It's a matter of how many. Oh, my goodness. So they had a real bad winter kill over there. In other words, they had a, a flood that it rained 14 inches in 48 hours, and it wiped out the deer. And then there was a drought right after that, or right before that, I can't remember, and it killed a ton of other deer. So when I went over there, I have a friend who has a house there. He said, don't even bother coming over. There's no deer. And I was trying to get my 80-year-old dad uh, a, a, a buck. You know, he's at the end of his, his life here, and I'm trying to help him. And so we sat in a platform tree stand, <clears throat> 15 yards off of a road, in an in a on an island that had a winter kill and a, and a drought, and in the platform sitting there in two hours killed a buck and saw 150 deer. Oh my goodness! There's just deer everywhere. There's more. It, it's a problem actually. So yeah, <clears throat> um, yeah. So that's a place that I go and I uh, really have a good time doing that. That's awesome. So what I want to get into is uh, you said you have a story and wanted to come on the podcast about a deer that you killed. And I, I just wanted to kind of go over that story with you. And um, let, let's start in. What What is this story that I have to hear? So, okay. So the story, so the story, so let me say this. So I've been hunting. I'm 57. I killed my first buck when I was 11. <clears throat> I've killed uh, probably, I don't know, 60 or 70 big game animals. You know, I'm, I, I'm a pastor and I was a football coach. And so, you know, my goal every year was like just to kill one buck, one deer a year, one animal a year. And I was really pleased with that because my schedule doesn't permit me to get out and, and do a lot of stuff. Sure. So this buck, 
I killed in 2021. I know born, I'm a big fan and I follow born and raised. Love you guys. I know you're do it yourself guys and public land guys. And so I was on a public land hunt in Oregon, which is one of the worst States in the country. <laughs> fact, a guy Eastman in his latest journal said, don't even waste your time with Oregon. If you live somewhere else, you're, he's so, probably not too wrong. So I'm four hours away from the closest town via car so we we okay. drove in i was an hour from the closest cell service hunting mule deer on public land on a full moon in 90 degree weather <laughs> and i killed the biggest buck of my life and so but really the story is cool but what happened after that and, and how that whole thing transpired was really interesting and i've actually given a message about this buck i call him i like to name my bucks i'm just a total redneck everything i kill has a name oh it does huh? called, this guy's called old broken top and i've actually oh. been to minnesota at a wild game barbecue and shared this story with 500 guys i've been to oregon california washington i've shared this story in numerous places because it's such a cool story as it relates to men that I just feel like I need to share it. And plus, it's an epic. You know how you have those hunting stories? You're like, I don't think I'm going to survive this. But man, if I do, it's a story. It, I literally, literally wore out my $200, $250 Solomon boots. I literally wore the treads off the boots on this hunt. And they replaced the boots because the treads literally fell off. Six-inch strips of tread on this hunt. It was so much walking and so much heat and so much volcanic rock. So it just became a great story. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, 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 ever since you told me the dude, I got to tell you that story. Story, I was just like, yeah, let's let's jump on a podcast and let's get this thing documented. Oh yeah, I think it's fun. I think it's fun. Yeah. yeah. So, what do you want to start with? I, whatever you want, man. Whatever you feel, whatever so, you so, feel like you want. Yeah. So uh, I I drew this tag with uh, father son combo. So the father son had been hunting this unit, which we'll just for the sake of. Uh, we'll just call it no unit, no name unit, Oregon. Uh, they've been hunting this unit for 30 years. Uh, 30 something years ago, they were killing 36 inch, 38 inch, but just monster, monster bucks in that south, northeast corner. I don't know, kind of, kind of bordered Idaho kind of area. Yeah. And uh, Field and Stream or Sports of Field wrote some articles on these bucks. And of course, it brought every man from a, the country there. Uh, and at the time, Oregon was a, a over the counter state. And it just ruined uh, it ruined this whole region, right? So guys stopped going. Well, this father-son duo, they're not uh, trophy hunters. So they just kept hunting it. <clears throat> so they invited me to go. I had the points to draw. And so we drew the tag. And so we got in there. And I was there with them in 16. And I killed a nice mule deer. But what these guys do is you're hunting, uh, you're hunting breaks. So you're, you're starting at the bottom uh, and you're climbing up and you're hunting. And these guys start at the bottom and they like to hunt up. And I don't, I don't like that method for mule deer. I like to be up at the top at dark. Right. And I want to ambush them as they're feeding out. So I ended up killing a nice buck with them. But I said, man, if I ever come back here again, I'm going to do this a little different. So I'm not going to hunt it the way you guys hunt it because I, I think that I can kill a big buck in here. You know, I think, you know, I saw I, a funny story is that first year I was in there, I finally, you know, the, the guy took me and he said, let me show you the area. So we got in, well, we finally got to the top at nine in the morning. 
I watched a guy from the rim kill a buck that had to go over 30 inches. Oh, he wow. was he was just above me about 400 yards. I watched him shoot 13 shots at this buck, these two guys. It was kind of pathetic, but they ended up killing this buck. And I thought, okay, well, I, that confirms that, you know, what I need to do. Yeah. So the opening, so that night before the opening day, I remember, I remember I really struggled to sleep because it was so bright outside. It was the brightest full moon you'd ever seen. There's not a street light for 200 miles. <clears throat> I mean, it was, <clears throat> it was epic. But I remember going, man, this is going to be rough because, you know, first day of the season, you're talking October in Oregon and they're predicting 90 degree heat plus a full moon. So I thought, you know, we're in trouble here. This is going to be a, a bad deal. And so uh, the morning of the hunt, so we get up. So these guys are, they're like, they're the quad guys, right? So they're, and I don't have a quad. Yeah. So I said, we'll just give you a quad ride to the top, kind of get you up there about three quarters away and you can walk up in the dark. So about three in the morning or whatever, they drop me off and I started walking. In this, in this canyon I'm hunting, there's one juniper tree on the whole rim. Okay. And I remembered it from four years before, and I thought, I'm just going to get to that juniper tree, and I'm just going to hunt. So I got up to the juniper tree. I killed, I killed a rat. You know, I'm, an, I'm, a, I'm a pastor, so I saw a rattlesnake, and so I'm a rattlesnake evangelist. So whenever I see a rattlesnake, you know, I introduce him to Jesus. So a couple boulders and a, got the rattle cut off, you know, throw it in the pack. <clears throat> I'm like, okay, we got one thing killed today, so this is nice. And I'm just kind of slowly making my way across this rim now i made a huge mistake as a hunter trent and I, i'm confessing this to you now so when you hear this story you're not gonna be like this guy's a dummy i ha had purchased a brand a really beautiful exo uh three 3500 i know okay. you same pack and i bought it from them because i know mark holsing well and, and i love the company i love their podcast and and i really wanted a uh i wanted a pack that really had a meat shelf that kept the meat close to my body and not like these old Alaskan frames from Cabela's that they're kind of hanging off and you're, you know. So I thought, I said, okay, I'm going to test this pack. Any deer I kill this year, because you're, I'm in a place, I'm hunting a place where you're not going to get a deer out hole. You're just not going to do it. You're too far in. And so, I mean, I was five miles from camp and these guys had dropped me off. I mean, I'm alone. So I decided that no matter what I do, normally I just bone these bucks out. I said, no, I'm going to quarter this buck out. I'm going to try to get a whole buck out quartered. Okay. I just want to see if the pack can do it. The problem, what I forgot to factor in was whether or not I could do it. You know, <laughs> I'm 54 years old at the time, and you've seen me. I'm a ex-college ball player. I'm a 250-plus pound guy. I'm a big muscle. I'm not a typical wilderness guy, right? So I'm just making my way across. It's getting hotter and hotter. And I've got a, uh, I've got my vortex spotting scope and I'm in the scope and I'm looking and I'd pick up the scope and move, you know, a couple, you know, 30, 40, 50 yards, sit there for an hour, just kind of making my way across this rim rock. And I'm in this, I'm in the spotting scope and I'm looking down this, you know, it's, it, there's, there's not a, hardly a tree around. So you're trying to spot bucks hiding in the brush and you know how that works. Oh yeah. And all of a sudden I hear this, I'm like, what is that noise? I look to my left and here's two bucks kind of half trotting out of the canyon. So they're about 50 yards from the top of the rim rock, right? I grab my spotter. I pull it, swing it to my left. I grab my Weatherby. I shoot a Weatherby Mark five, uh, seven millimeter Magnum. Okay. Okay. Put the Weatherby, <clears throat> although I'm really intrigued by this, uh, Alpine MDT they made. 
So oh, yeah. anyway, that's a whole other story. So I pull this gun up, and I and I know I could tell instantly the first buck is never the big buck, right? It's always the back buck. So I, I could tell that's that's a little teeny guy. You know, he he's he'd be an Oregon legal buck, and in Oregon they'll shoot those little forkies, but I don't like to shoot mule deer that look like blacktail. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know well, exactly. I'm telling myself I'm all alone. It's 10:30 in the morning. It's 90 degrees, and I told myself if this is a four point buck, I'm gonna kill it. He's he's running out of the canyon, but he's running sideways, and so you know that you can't tell how big a mule deer is from the side. Okay. It's really hard to judge width, and plus this buck's on the move, right? So I put my scope up. I, I'll get the crossers on his head. I noticed, okay, he is a he from the side. He looks like a good four by four, right? Okay. So I just click, paying, shoot. And and it was weird because what are we talking yardage here again? Hundred and I'm gonna. I well, was. I'm guessing now. Hundred and seventy. Oh, okay, okay. So, so his I shot him and he stopped moving, but he didn't fall over. He just dropped his head. And I, I've never seen that before. But, you know, I mean, I've hunted deer enough. My rule is I, I shoot them till they're down, baby. And so I cocked another one in. I put it behind his shoulder, and I killed him, right? So I'm sitting there, and I'm waiting for this other buck. At this point, this other buck's just kind of staring. Hey, come on, buddy. Get up. Let's go. Yeah. And, I, and I'm waiting because I really don't want to disturb that buck because I, I don't want to educate that buck. So I'm waiting for that buck to leave, and I want to make sure the buck I shot is down. I've had... I've had high loin shots before where, you know, they get up and they move. So I'm just waiting. I wait about 20 minutes. And finally, the little buck realizes Buddy was in a sleep pattern that wasn't he wasn't going to recover from. So, <laughs> so he made his way out of the out of the rim rock. And so I walked over this buck. And I thought, I don't know how big this buck is. I know he's a mature four-point buck, which in Oregon, to kill a mature four-point mule deer on public land, you know, that's that's a... That's actually something to be reckoned with, you know, anymore. So it's like killing a unicorn. Kind yeah, of. <laughs> it kind of is. Yeah. <laughs> so I walked, I came in on top of this guy because I just, I like to come in up high just to, in case yeah. something was, you know, just in case he, you know, he was down and just in case I figured he was dead. I hit him twice. So I come above him and I, I get about 30 yards above him. I look at him and the first thought I thought was, man, this is the biggest buck of my life. My second thought is why are his antlers touching? Oh no. Oh no. <laughs> yes. So he's not real wide. He's not real wide. No, he's about four, four wide. <laughs> and what happened, and I know what happened now, when I put that gun up on his head to see if he was a four point in the heat of the moment, trying to shoot before he went out of that rim rock, I forgot to pull the crosshairs off his head and I shot him right in the eyeball. Right. And so what happened when I shot him, I shot him. He was uh, running from right to left. So I hit him in the left, uh, just right below the left eyeball. In doing so, I shattered the skull. <clears throat> His driver's side uh, main beam at the base was just jello. And then his main beam on the right side, it was just 10 inches of it was gone. And this buck had nice, well, I'll show you the buck right now. I mean, this is the buck. I mean, he's got, look at that. Those are nice. I mean, it's a nice, Beautiful. nice, right? Beautiful. So, so I'm sitting here looking at my, the, you know, the greatest trophy of my life and it became a tragedy. Yeah. I mean, what should have been the happiest moment of my life was like, I was really upset. I'm like, man, I just destroyed this buck. So now, but now I've got another problem. 
I'm alone. It's 1030. I'm five miles from the car or the camp and I've got to get this buck out. And so I thought, okay, well, I told myself I'm going to quarter this buck. I took some lame pictures. I've got a picture I'll show you where the main beam, you know, when you shoot the a horn off a boat buck, you know, it's purple there. Do you know it's purple? I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I, I don't, I don't profess to knowing that even. <laughs> oh, well, I had never, you know, after uh, five decades of hunting, I had never noticed that. I'm like, wow, the horn's purple when you shoot them off. Right. So, so anyway, I proceed to bone this, but or to quarter this buck out. And uh, with much effort, I mean, honestly, it was, I, I, I used so much effort in, in quartering this buck. I mean, I was almost done. I mean, trying to shove the two hind quarters into that shelf and then the two front shoulders into the bag. And then I still got a, you know, I, I was using the gutless method, you know, but I still have to deal with the, the tenderloins and the loins. Thankfully, that first shot or the second shot had destroyed kind of, I hit him kind of high in the shoulder. And it, I didn't have to take any neck meat. And so, plus, I had to get the spotter in there, the, the, the deer rifle, the binoculars. I had about 50 ounces of water left. Oh, boy. And uh, and then, you know, you strap those antlers on. I don't I don't know why guys strap them with the horns up high. I strap mine with the horns down low. Yeah. So I had the horns on the, the lid kind of, but the antler, the head's broke. So, every time I'd step, I'd get stabbed by the antler. <laughs> so... I've got my I've got my trekking poles on, and I don't know, man. I, you experience this all the time. I don't. A hundred and fifty pounds of meat in a hundred degree, ninety degree weather is is brutal. I mean, I thought, you know, I'm when I was thirty years old, I used to like look for these opportunities. Now I try yeah. to avoid them, right? As far as like the plague, like the plague. Yes. I'm going, I have nobody to help me. I'm not, I'm whining. I keep telling myself, you're good. I'm going medical, man. I'm going, and I, I'd stop and I'd have to bend over because I, the weight was so heavy. I couldn't even, I'm a guy who does reps with 300 pounds on the squats. I'm not a weak guy, but I mean, I, in that I'm like bent over my trekking poles are bending. Oh boy. Like, I mean, cause I'm just grinding. Right. So I'm like, I just have to get to the top and I only had to go, I don't know, 50 or 60 yards. But then I had about, I don't know, I'm going to call it, I'm going to call it on Onyx. It looked like a half mile walk. You're kind of navigating through volcanic rock in Oregon. Right. And I had to get to that one juniper tree. If I, if I get that one juniper tree, I, I can find this buck. You know, once I can relocate this deer. So I finally get to this one juniper tree. It's about one o'clock in the afternoon and it's hot. Hot. And I dropped this buck off. You know, I've got them in game bags, and they're not really cool game bags like yours. They're just those generic crappy ones. But I, I have them, like, I get them in the game bags. That's not an advertisement for the crappy bags. That's an advertisement, like, Ramos, you know, <laughs> born and raised guys. So I, I dropped this buck off uh, under this boulder, right, because you're in this rocky volcanic area. Sure, sure. I, I, I create a waypoint on Onyx, right, and then I – uh, I go, okay, I'm just going to head. So it's a five mile walk downhill. It's, it's just a walk. It's, you know, the camp is way down in the, the river bottom. Okay. So I start walking at this point. I'm out of water. I'm bloody as my pants are bloody, bloody. Thank God I was wearing those. Uh, I'm a massive fan of the Walmart Wranglers that you can buy $25 and they're the best pants ever made. And they're super lightweight. I'm like, thank God I'm wearing these and not my corrugates from first light. Cause those are a lot warmer. Yeah, there you go. Thank God I opted to a warmer weather pant. My boots are just, I'm like, man, I'm, I'm just a mess here. I am hurting. And I'm on the radio calling my buddy. 
and they had killed a buck and they were taking care of a buck themselves. So I finally get all about two miles from the, the, the camp and I get a call on the radio from my buddy. He goes, Hey, we got a buck down. We got it to camp. Uh, I'll come and pick you up. He had just bought a brand new side by side. Nice. Like, I'll come and pick you up. I say, Hey, pull one of my frozen water bottles out and bring some water. I'm out of water. I'm, I'm like really close to dehydration. It's getting dangerous. So come get me. So he said, okay. So, you know, the whole time I've got this buck and I'm like, man, I've got this buck on the mountains. I've ruined the buck. I mean, now the meat might get ruined. It's a hundred degrees. I mean, this is not good. So he picks me up. He hands me this frozen Gatorade bottle of water. He said, man, Hey, you're not going to walk another step today. I go, bro, I'm hurting, man. I'm like, I'm, I'm, this is, thank you that you saved me, man. So we get in this brand new side by side. We start heading up the mountain. I've got my GPS, you know, but you know how the Onyx works. Now I'm down to about 40% power, right? And so we get about, we get all the way to about, I don't know, three quarters of the way to the top and his side by side stops working. It just stops. Oh, and this guy's a mechanic. I mean, he, he's a mechanic. That's what he does, right? He gets out, he's looking, looking, looking. He finally goes, hey, man, I, I got to tell you, I don't know what's wrong with this thing. So, bro, bro, we are five hours from the closest town at this point. We're in the middle of nowhere. We've got no cell service. He said, Jim, I don't know what to tell you, man. We have to walk back to camp. Well, so we're five miles from camp now. And it's three in the afternoon in Oregon. You know how hot it gets, right? Oh, so man. for the next two hours, we're walking downhill. And at one point, it was funny because at one point, I, I tripped. And I almost fell, I almost fell on my face and I go, I don't know what's wrong with me. And he looks at my boots. He goes, well, look at your boots. There was a six inch shred of boot just came right off. And I tripped over this shred of boot. Oh, my. So he says to me, uh, he goes, Hey man, you want me to carry your gun for you? And I was sure. like, I was like, Oh hell no. You're there's no way I'm walking out of these Hills with some other guy carrying my gun. In fact, I said, if you want to be, I mean, I might just fight you right now. You're not take, dude, there's no way. Come on, Trent. You know that you would not hand the gun over. It's a tough one to swallow. I will tell you that. Like, I am not handing the damn gun over. So we walked down. We we finally, we finally made it down. I mean, it was by the time we got down to the camp, it was five o'clock. We thankfully, we had two more quads there. We took the two quads up. We found, we found the deer. Got the deer to the river. The deer was in great shape. Oh, good. Except good. for the antlers. Good. Well, so now, so now, so now by this time now, the antlers. So when you set a, when you set just the head of the deer down, the antlers don't come together. They fold out wide. So now I'm looking at a 36 inch buck. Yeah, you're darn right. So I'm like, this is not bad. So yeah. is he 36 or is he four? <laughs> well, you know, that's that glass half full kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so uh so the so here's the here's the cool part of the story. Here's the cool part of the story. So we finally get him back, and I'm really depressed. You know, I'm I'm I've got this buck that I know he's a good buck. He's actually a six by five with eye guards. I mean, you I should yeah, stud yeah, buck. He's stud you know, buck for Oregon. That's a that's a good, nice buck. It's probably a 170. I'm yeah, like 170 class buck, 170. Yeah. So, yeah. so I, I, I realized I've got a friend and he's the master at his craft. So I brought this buck to my buddy and I said, man, Dave, I go, I, I look what I did to this buck, the skull. He goes, man, the skull cap tastes like, feels like jelly. He goes, that left main beam is just fractured in seven places. 
here at the base. And he says, your right side main beam, you're missing at least 10 to 12 inches of horn. I said, man, can you fix him, Dave? He's a taxidermist. He said, well, let's take some measurements. So we took three measurements. And he said, my expert opinion is this buck was this wide. It ended up being 26 and a half, okay. which is, you know, if Great you're buck. in Colorado, Utah, whatever, it's it's average. But here in Oregon, you know, on public land, that's a good buck. So about two months later, he called me. He said, hey, I got your buck. I got your buck done. And I, I showed up and, and my tragedy was instantly transformed to my triumph. Yeah. Right? Yeah. This it, yeah. it wasn't even a tragedy, a travesty. I mean, it was it was the worst case scenario. And so finally, so I was I held this buck and for like it was pretty cheap. It was you know, like 200 bucks. He did it like 200 bucks, 250. I've got this beautiful buck. And and it hit me. And I've named I named the buck old broken top because it teaches a story I think all of us as guys really would connect with. Sure. I believe, you know, my ministry is called Men in the Arena. And one of the things we believe is when a man gets it, everyone wins. The problem is that a lot of our problems in this world are, are caused by males and not men. But when a man gets it, everyone wins. The problem with us as guys is we've got a lot, and I know this is a hunting podcast, and we're manly men, and we don't, you know, we're tough guys. But, you know, we're broken dudes, man. A lot, I, a lot of guys listen to this podcast have come home after a hunt with suitcases packed on the front porch, and they weren't the ones that packed them. I mean, there are a lot of guys out there who their hunting has cost their marriages. Their hunting has cost their kids. Their hunting has cost their integrity. And there are a lot of guys out there. There are a lot of guys out there who have spent way too much money on hunting, and they can't pay their bills because they've got a $3,500 rig they shoot from. You know what I mean? So there are a lot of, there's a lot of brokenness among men. I just got off the phone call today with a guy who's just – 26 years old and just financially just he doesn't know what to do right yep. and so there's a lot of brokenness with men but what i realized through this buck once my taxidermist put it together that when you put something broken when when you put a tragedy in the hands of a master craftsman your tragedy becomes a trophy again and that's one of the things that I realized about this buck that was so special. That This buck reminded me that, Jim, even though you are broken, even though you make mistakes, even though in many ways your life uh, at times can look like a tragedy, it can be a Shakespearean tragedy, I felt like in that moment that God spoke to me and said, I want to make your life a trophy. In fact, the favorite thing that God does is turn men and their tragedies into God's triumph. And God, I believe, is hunting for men mm. who are broken, but he wants to make them a trophy. He wants to make men a hero in their own story. And so this buck is really important to me because it teaches me that my life, my way, leads to brokenness. But there is a better way. So that's why I want to talk to you. I just thought it was a great hunting story, huh? I love it. I love it. I, I think it goes full circle as far as like you still have to be accepting, right? You still yeah. have to accept you were you put yourself there, right? You put yourself in that position. You were the one that had that plan going into it. Like, I'm going to do this different this time. Yes. I'm going to go up and I'm going to do this all different. And so you had your own plan in your own head. And then and then how it turned out at the end is just like you had to be willing to accept those consequences of what you did and how you went about it. 
and nobody was going to get me oh. out of it. But you know what you just reminded me, Trent? I just, you just remind me of something. I hadn't thought of this before. I think the biggest mistake I made on that hunt was not deciding I was going to quarter that buck out. I think the biggest mistake I made was I went in alone. That's right. That, that kind of, I was kind of getting that, like, that's the decision that you made right yeah. to go into this thing. And, and I, and I, and I think it, it speaks volumes of, you know, okay. The decisions that we make as men, as women, as anybody, I think yeah. it, it, it's amazing. Like it, it's, you have to deal with those decisions, but it's how you react afterwards. That is going to be the main thing. And, and like you say, the, the tread, tragedy to triumph you know kind of thing and that's i think that's huge i really do yeah and you know we live in a world today that that says yeah i made the decisions i made the mistakes but you're going to pay for my mistakes like we live in an, a generation today with men growing up who are unwilling to accept responsibility for their correct. actions correct so uh you know this is a problem and that was i i was and you see this all the time because you guys you know killed 13 bears this year and every bear you kill well people don't know about bear hunting is every kill the good news is every bear you kill is in the bottom of a canyon every time the bad news is the truck's <laughs> at the top of the canyon and so, <laughs> you know and it's you know it's the same thing i mean what kind of man would i be to go on a, a bear hunt and shoot a bear and go okay you guys go get that bear and bring him up to me well no you shot that bear that's your decision. Yeah. And so we have to accept, I think, I think that may be the thing that separates, uh, uh, functioning men and women from dysfunctional males and little girls, you know, mm, yeah. uh, chronological age, not a factor here because that is that unwillingness to accept responsibility for our actions. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think too, like, and, and if we kind of touch on this from the hunting aspect, like what would you have done different? Like the things that could have been put in place first. And that's what I, I think you need to look at it from a life aspect and also from, okay, why, oh, yeah. did, I, why did I, I could have died. You know, why did I, how, where, where did I go wrong here? Yeah, I think for me, I, there's a couple of things I've learned. I mean, like I said, I've, I grew up uh, backpack hunting in the early 90s when i was a young man that's what we did we would kill bucks and we'd haul them out we'd bone them out and haul them out you know 90 100 degree weather the california's a zone where i grew was where i grew up and what what i learned about hunting down there and over the years of hunting is you can't and this is the mistake i made in this unit with this buck you can't go into a hunting situation with a predetermined contingency mm. like i was going to quarter that buck out no matter what and that was a stupid decision i i should have i should have first i should have you know i should have done what i always do but i was excited you know i had a new piece of gear i was running you know how often do we do that oh i've got this new piece of i've got this new scope and i'm gonna dial this scope in even if it's a 150 yard shot well you're an idiot yeah Pull the no, trigger. you know and so for me i screwed up there so that's the first mistake i made uh, the second mistake I made is I, I, you know, I don't own a quad. I, I've, I've just been a walk-in guy. You know, I, I do have an e-bike now, so that helps uh, just because it's easier to get in when you're older. But uh, I should have had, uh, I should have had my own gear and my own way to get up that hill, not relied on anybody else. Okay. And then the third thing is I, sh I absolutely just should have went with somebody so i'm actually putting in for that hunt next year with my middle son darby oh, we're cool. going to go in together for that exact reason <laughs> relive so i bet you'll relive some memories too oh yeah <laughs> you know what well that's and, the great thing the, the, the greatest thing about suffering is it turns out to be a better story 
Yes, you're right. You're right. And it's the one that you remember the most, right? A bunch of them come to mind on on me and stuff. And it's not, this isn't about what I've done, but as far as like, it's those times that you look back on and like, that was dumb, but yet that is something that I'll remember for the rest of my life. (laughs) Well, you know, it's funny growing up. I was always told, you know, you know, son, whenever you kill a, a, a deer, you've got two types of meat. You've got buck meat and, and venison. And that buck, that broken top buck, that was buck meat. Yes. That yeah. was not drive in the field, shoot the buck and throw your quad, throw them on the quad and go home. You know, that was, that was, that was, that was a buck meat moment. <laughs> well, hard earned deer. That is and, for sure. You know, that, what's, sure. that, that deer hung for six days in that weather. And it was one of the best eaten bucks I've ever had in my life. Yeah. You know, so it just aged perfect. It's amazing. That's a big question that we get. One of the one of the bigger questions that we get is people see us hunting. Like, we'll say I'll be back in Colorado for you know six days in the backcountry or something, and we just kill something. We I quarter it. I like to quarter things because it hangs better. Yeah, and sure. just hang it. And they're just like, how in the world do you get away with that? And if you can get that body temperature starting to fall, you know, as quickly as possible, it's amazing how it can still fluctuate and just be just just fine with the right with the right proper care. Well, you know, it's funny. I was shocked when I moved out here to Oregon and 20 years ago. You know, I process all my own game. I make my own sausage. I make yep. my own pep, uh, pepperoni. I do it all. And I was shocked at how many guys don't. And other thing that shocked me, Trent, and you, I, and you may disagree with me. I mean, I don't know because I haven't heard this part of your 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 message, uh, your your stuff. Is I'll hang a buck until it almost starts getting moldy. If you hang it between thirty-five and forty degrees, and I'll hang it for two weeks and let it cure. A lot of these guys are afraid to let their bucks cure, and they have that gamey taste. And so, this buck here, what we did, even though it was as hot as it was, we put it under a tree. At night, we we let it hang uh, just with a deer bag on it, or deer bags, because it was obviously quartered. And then the daytime, we would put a tarp around it. Okay, cool. We would just kind of insulate it in the day from the heat, and then we would open that at night and let it air. And it sat there in, for six days in hot weather, and it was unbelievable. You know, guys are afraid oh, yeah. of ruining meat. And that meat, I mean, go to, Ch- go to a Chinese marketplace somewhere. I mean, if you watch how people handle meat. <laughs> yeah. So there's so many different ways to do it, Jim. And I've done studies myself on all of this kind of stuff uh, over the years and everything. And the the biggest, um, the one thing that I've got from butchers, because that's what we did growing up. And yeah. when, the mold, when the mold started to get on the, you know, on the hindquarters is when you trimmed the mold off and then that was time to put him up, you know, and, and, and the, the more knowledge that I get on it as far as having a good cooler and having all your humidity kind of right and everything and the temperature down, the knowledge that I get on it is it's like a beef. The reason that they're hanging beef is because those fat cells, what they'll yeah. do is separate and they'll make that with an elk or a deer or something super, super lean. It's not quite the case. So the butchers and the people that I've talked to doing it, there is an aging process, but it's not as long as you in their opinion it can taste the same after three days of hanging versus 15 days of hanging is what they say really that's exactly that i've done i've talked to everybody i've almost done studies on all of this and it's like i I don't know i I, i've done both right i've had times where i killed this deer in wyoming i'm moving to colorado i got to get this thing cut up i'm at a koa campground cutting meat the day after i killed it you know i didn't let it hang as much as i wanted to but and it still tasted fine or i hang it for 17 days 
and it still tasted fine. So I, I don't know the, the the ins and outs, but I do know that you know there is something to the fat of a beef cow breaking down those yeah, cells, sure. and, mm-hmm. and and with a lean animal, it's not as much. Well, and the other thing too is like I've had situations where I've had to had I've had to cut break down a deer and actually process the deer, butcher the deer, cut and wrap it because I was in a situation where I had to. Sure. And when I go to cook that deer, I would just let it sit in the fridge for 24 hours. I'll let it age in the fridge. You know, I'll you cover it. I'll cover it and let it age. I did have something that happened just recently that I thought was interesting. Maybe you would have some information on this. We killed bucks in Hawaii. And because of the extreme heat there, uh, I actually, I'd never done this before. I had a friend of mine, I was staying at a guy's house and I actually just quartered the bucks up and put them in a freezer. Hmm. And that actually hurt the meat. Yeah, because something about rigor mortis and and the and the game like like I didn't allow rigor mortis to set in or something, and it, yeah. it did change the. It was just the meat was tougher. Yeah, no, and I, I've I've seen that too. People that freeze their meat, they do it. It's called animal style or caveman style or whatever. They'll take whole cuts of like giant and with the bone in and everything and then they'll kill something and put it in the freezer i've never been a big fan i want to get as much of that blood out of that meat as i can and so uh, that's my goal anyway well what we're doing this year because we're going back out there and hunting axis deer when we're when we we've already got a plan we're going to put these bucks because there's no place to hang them right so what we do is we're going to take a big white big coolers put ice in the bottom, tarp over the top of that, and just put those deer in there and create our own cold storage and let those deer cure in there without ever freezing them. I would never, I'll never freeze an animal again. That was a bad decision. Another thing, what I what I would recommend as far as that goes is because that 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 uh, the colder air is going to sink on you and everything is put that meat in the bottom, put those put layers of what I've done is styrofoam or whatever you know a real thin layer so the water the worst thing you don't want water to touch it obviously exactly. and so then you can put that ice on top and what that'll do is insulate the bottom of that meat as well e- either or works well our or. situation my buddy's got a commercial ice maker so it's little small cubes yeah. So I couldn't do it on top. It would create moisture on that animal, I think. But yeah. but, no, but I think I do like that plan better because now you're covering with Correct. Cold, right? Correct. And then it's insulating it as well. If I had blocks of ice, that would be perfect. Then you've got to put a rack on the bottom, right? Sure. And the, uh, the water from... Uh, I've yeah. done a couple studies as well. We've took a, uh, taken um, dry ice and done the same thing. It's just taken two blocks of dry ice, put it on top of thick cardboard on top of meat. That worked really, really, really well. Really? I've never really used well. dry ice uh, just because of access. You know, so the just... big hundred percent. But the big thing with meat, as you know, is moisture, right? So yeah, that's sure. what, like, well, if in Lanai, I'm sure it's really humid. I would assume yeah. it's humid over there. And so hanging it, I don't know if that you you want to try to pull that moisture out of the meat and get that glaze that we've all felt, right? That's uh, that that not where it's not sticky, where it's kind of hard on the outside of the animal. That's what you're looking for is that protective layer um, to form that. And it, it, it's hard to do that in a in a meat hanging cooler. That's what it does. But in a real cooler cooler that you're putting ice on, it's tough to get that. But at least you're going to drop that temperature. Okay, this is a great conversation. So I'm going to ask you a question. So mm-hmm. when we kill deer and we're skinning a deer or an elk or whatever, I wash, I wash the heck out of those deer i mean i'm spraying i'm washing them down but what i do next though so i'm a fan of i i know friends of mine who say don't ever 
put water on the animal, but I'll wash that animal down. But then what I'll do is I'll let that water kind of dry off before I put the game back on. On I don't want a moist 100%. game. How do you feel about that? Is that hundred percent? You can okay. wash everything off. We killed a bull a few years ago in Wyoming in the river, in the river, <laughs> and so. I had to actually, and I only had me and my buddy, and it was all waterlogged. We couldn't get it out of the river, and so we had to actually. But it's weird because looking back on it, it was the cleanest elk we've ever done in our lives. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's so, awesome. Yeah. Um, I would totally agree with you as far as just getting that glaze on it after it's all wet and everything. Hang that thing up. Let it just get that that natural glaze on it. And then after that, you're good to go, you know. Well, I'll tell you, I'm a big fan. I'm a, I'm a big, massive fan of killing them. But I'll tell you what, I'm a pretty big fan of eating them. And, yeah. so, and, and, and you know, the other thing too is, I think a lot of the people listening to this have spouses, whether it's a wife listening who's got a husband or a husband listening who's got a wife and kids. Uh, nobody likes gamey meat. You know, everybody no. wants to measure their meat against beef, right? And so, so you know, so you've got to have a piece of meat there that's going to taste uh, a good and not taste, you know, gamey. And so, and so I think, you know, how long you cook the meat is critical and how you cure the meat is critical. Those two things are critical. So. Yeah. A hundred percent, man. A hundred percent. So uh, it's, been, it's been so good talking to you, brother, man. You too, man. We, we don't, <laughs> we don't get the time enough, but this, this actually allows for that, which is kind of nice. Yeah. Well, hopefully I'll be able to, hopefully we'll, I know you're going to generate stories cause that's your, your, that's what you do is you generate hunting stories. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hopefully I can generate the stories. You know, the, the backpack part of it is, you know, it's funny, man. I was sitting there talking. I was at a uh, an event, just an outside event the other day, talking to this young guy. He, great guy, 29-year-old guy, and he's talking about he's going hunting for deer and his pack's 60 pounds. And I'm like, bro, let me help you. And he's like, oh, no, man, six, I need 60. I go, you're packing your fears, buddy. Man, <laughs> are you kidding me? What are you packing in there? And I, I packed into Hell's Canyon one year hunting elk, and a guy brought a gallon of milk in there. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I've never heard that expression before. You're packing your fears. Oh, I've yeah, never that, heard that. That's, born, that's a Hunt Back Country podcast expression. Oh, it sounds like Mark and Steve. It sounds exactly like that. That's exactly yeah. who it is. But, yeah. I mean, yeah, you're packing your fears, bro. <laughs> anyway. I love it. I love it. All I'm saying is the older I get, the lighter that pack's got to get. You know what I mean? I can't pack too many fears it is amazing and that's the cool thing about like archery elk hunting like the big thing when you're when you're anything else that i've found and everything is i like to have a spot and scope with me that spot and scope weighs a boatload of weight you know and then you got to have a tripod and then you got to have all these things you know what i mean and everything so it's like going into it i, I think like you were stating it earlier like okay figure out your actual weight and then figure out what it is once you kill something what's that weight going to be, you know, and, and try to say, okay, well, maybe I could, I, I, I could leave, you know, the uh, 200 feet of rope behind, you know, I could probably, I don't really need yeah. it, you know. Well, even with a spotting scope, I took off the top uh, vertical rod. Yeah. I took that off because I'm usually spotting from a sitting position and I took the handle, the adjustment handle off. So I saved a pound right okay. there. You yeah. know, I mean, there's, I mean, you don't, you know, you don't have to have everything they provide. No. But I'm still trying to negotiate around that spotting scope while being alone. <laughs> you know, especially if I'm not a trophy hunter. I mean, I'm I'm kind of going, man, I don't know. That might be a me and another guy type of thing. Yeah. You yeah. know, he takes the tripod, I take the scope because that's a lot of weight. So when you're already carrying a bunch of weight around, so it definitely is. It definitely is. <laughs>
Well, man, I appreciate the message. And uh, I, I just, the way you tied everything together, I, I do appreciate that. I think there's definitely value there for everybody listening, guys. Um, if there is something tugging at your heart, as from, from what you heard here, uh, how, can, how can people get a hold of you, Jim? And how can people, how can people follow you guys? Yeah, so we're, uh, gosh, we're on TikTok, Instagram, Twitter. We're all over the place uh, at uh, The Men in the Arena, or we have The Men in the Arena podcast. And so, uh, and, and our website is meninarena.org and they can pick up one of my, uh, books or whatever, or they can just hit us up and, uh, in an email and we'd love to help out any way we can. Awesome, brother. Awesome. I've been on that podcast a couple different times. I've had the, the honor of doing it with you. It's, 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 it's pretty, it's a fun deal, man. It was so much fun. So, uh, anyway, guys, uh, check out Jim, check out the ministry that he's got going on and, um, Anyway, I just appreciate the knowledge that you dropped here today and the laughter also too, Jim. Well, and hopefully, uh, hopefully uh, you can beat me with a with a, an antler, spank my butt with an antler if I ever try to quarter out a buck alone again. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you guys for listening to this one, and we'll see you. We'll see you on the next one. All right. See you, man.